Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. All right, welcome to another episode of the How We Solve podcast, where we talk to very smart individuals who have solved hard problems. And today we're talking to Travis Rosbach, if you pronounce it in the German way. He has spent the last uh, 30 years studying his entrepreneurial skills. Throughout the previous 10 years, he has been proud to introduce sourcing, advising, consulting, public speaking, business coaching to his expertise. And his clients include a wide range of industries, celebrities, individuals, and even countries. And he's probably the most interesting man in the world. He's been a pilot. He's been a U.S. merchant marine boat captain. He's a scuba dive master and instructor, and he's a yoga instructor. He's a Reiki practitioner, and he's the founder of Hybrid Flask, which you probably know. It's like the water bottle with the cartoon. Each guy. Yeah. And this is probably like the only product that has sold more than yoga pants in, in Los Angeles. You know? <laughs> so you've definitely seen this product, and Travis, super excited to have you on the show. David, thank you for having me. This is such a pleasure. And how we solve, we always want to solve something. And today we want to solve something super cool. And it's basically, how do you build a cult? Not the drastic, <laughs> how you turn your brand into a cult? Maybe not, but like, how do you learn from propaganda campaigns? How can you apply these things to your marketing? I love this topic. It's one that I don't think it gets enough airplay. So yeah. So how do you turn your product into a global phenomenon, a water bottle that is literally omnipresent? Yeah, good question. I like the omnipresent too, because that really is a big part of it is like, that's really the ultimate goal, I think, of building a cult-like following around a brand is having the brand be omnipresent in all of your life and throughout all of your life. I've always been really inquisitive. And when starting Hydroflask, we just started looking at the marketing campaigns of the already achieved cult-like following brands, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, all of the fast food restaurants, on and on and on. Anybody who had already achieved that status, just looking at their propaganda and then putting it into our words and then putting it back out there. And then also, like, I want to caveat everything with having a really good product with really good intention. Having really good morals and values is always, I'd like to convey that as always being an underlying value. Especially these days where people kind of vote more with their wallet or their conscious, you know, kind of like when people left Uber because of they were not treating people right and everybody flocked to Lyft or brands like Patagonia, you know, where you have an impact by consuming these products, it becomes much easier. The only thing, if you want to do evil things, you have to have something like a cigarette brand or something like this. You maybe can create a cult following around this, but that's not what we're going to do. Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. With the uh, voting with the dollars and then wearing the badge or wearing the membership holding or drinking out of or driving the membership badge. Like you see, I belong to the cult of Subaru. I, I personally belong to the cult of Toyota. That's where I subscribe. And so I, I wear that as kind of a badge of honor and I'm single right now. And as I look at dating women, I look at the cars they drive and it's like, well, if they drive a Subaru or Toyota, like we're probably going to get along pretty well. Cause I understand a lot more of their psyche. I know where they shop, 
theoretically and typically. I know where they shop. I know how they live. I probably know other brands that they're going to be having in their homes. And I know how well we can get along as opposed to somebody who drives a vehicle that I'm not really fond of that other brand. And I don't really associate with those morals or those values that come from that brand. Interesting. I never saw it through this lens, but it makes total sense. We want to belong to tribes, right? It's built into us and makes it easier for us to recognize if this is somebody that I want to be around or something I want to be part of. I'm here in Bend, Oregon, and we've just got a huge onslaught of people moving here. A lot of them are really cool. A lot of them are not as cool. Like just looking at the cars and looking at who is coming, I can see a major shift coming in our area. And a lot of that has to go to the brands that they associate with. But I do believe that knowing who your customer is, is huge. Who is this person? How old are they? Where do they shop? How do they dress? How do they vote? Which car do they drive? And which car do they drive? You know, where do they work? And the more you can micro specifically hone in on a ideal customer, but then also a realistic customer. I think that you're going to have a much better time getting in front of them. And then, like you said earlier, being omnipresent in their life. You know, they read these magazines, these books, these blogs, this social media, these brands. Well, then how much easier is it to be omnipresent in their life? With Hydroflask, we had the monumental task of figuring out, okay, well, if you drink water, if you drink liquid, you are now a potential customer. So how do we how do we take everybody and then where do we actually spend that marketing dollar, those dollars and what brand, the branding was a little easier because I knew that we wanted to save plastic. We wanted to help protect the environment. We wanted to help save the world. We wanted to hydrate the masses. We want to hydrate everybody's lives. So the branding was a little easier, but then the marketing was a little bit more of a challenge because it was so broad. And I think it's like always with positioning. I had like a bunch of people on the show to talk about positioning because I think it's one of the hardest things for an entrepreneur to say, okay, I'm just going to focus on this narrow audience because I don't have the gunpowder to like do Super Bowl ads, like who do I really focus on? And by doing this, it's the right thing to do because you want to stand out. But it feels like you're cutting away like all this opportunity because everybody you're doing so well, that could be my customer. But like we want 30-year-old yoga teachers who... Whatever. So how narrow did you go in, in your initial? Initially, we were extremely broad. It literally was anybody who drank liquid was a potential customer. And it actually worked fairly well because it was the truth. Everybody felt, well, I shan't say everybody, but dang near everybody felt better after drinking water and becoming hydrated. Maybe sometimes the first time in their entire life, they started to physically, mentally, emotionally all other ways, feel better from being hydrated. And so that was kind of my, always my, my own personal Travis's mission was just to hydrate everybody. And then as we started growing it, the powers that be would come in and say, no, no, Travis, we have to focus on a narrow subsection of humanity in order to expedite the growth through the marketing channels. So we went to the outdoor sporting realm, which made a lot of sense because there had been a couple water bottles before us that had sort of left the market and they were in the sporting good outdoor world. And so it made a lot of sense to start there. 
I should say the first account was with our friend Trudy at Mountain Supply here in Bend, Oregon. Shout out to Trudy at Trudels. So she was our first, but she was like a family friend, so it kind of didn't count. So the second one, which was the big one, was Whole Foods. So found very quickly that the healthy, organic food lifestyle shops and businesses were a very good demographic for us as well. And then the distribution, just out of curiosity, you always went B2B in the, like kind of being in, in these local supermarket, or did you do online sales? Like what was the main sales channel where you're pushing your product through? In the early, very first days, we were direct to consumer up at the Portland Saturday market. We were out the Burnside Bridge, the Max Rail tracks, just slanging water bottles and, and collecting cash. I mean, it was just literally just throwing bottles at people and collecting money from them. And I loved that. I mean, I really got a kick out of it because I enjoy people. I enjoy talking to people and learning about who they are and what they're up to. And it really gave us a good perspective of who our demographic is and was and how they responded to these bottles, what questions they had, what colors they liked or didn't like, or what we could experiment. And we put a little bit of money into a new banner, for instance. And then realistically, at the end of the day, we'd have 100 people tell us feedback as opposed to 100,000 people who sees a banner who might not resonate. We could get feedback very quickly from something like a banner. So that's how we started. And then, then we ended up with a, a fairly good size world headquarters here in Bend. We started a website and then we picked up sales reps also. So the sales reps started to get us into stores and that really took off. Like our sales reps were the ones that really helped propagate, propagate the sales. Is that right? You're, yeah. Propagate. Which year was this, by the way? 2008, we started slanging bottles. 2009, I think, I think we were originally registered as an LLC in Honolulu. And then we came back home to Bend. I'm originally from Oregon and started, I think 2009 was our Bend LLC. It started LLC then. We went corporation there pretty quick thereafter. So to recap, to build a cult-like following for your brand, first you figure out who's the ideal demographic and ideally you do this by having direct contact with your customers, talk to people. And once you found those, what do you do then? Well, I was studying what the other cult brands were doing. And while some of what they were doing was not necessarily applicable, or obtainable with our budget, I could at least kind of get a feel for how is Zappos doing this? How is Patagonia? How is Red Bull? How is Coca-Cola? How does McDonald's come across? What commercials do they use? And how does Red Bull speak? And how do people feel when they see Red Bull? And so I used a lot of the other really big brands that were popular like those popular brands de jour back then that I liked and, or I, I admired, I didn't necessarily like McDonald's, but I admired their marketing and sales and their branding power. And yet again, it goes back to like, we were good people doing good things. We're doing water bottles. We're not doing something that, you know, hopefully it's not going to kill you in the long term. It's not sugar. It's not gross. It's healthy and good. So how could we take all of those big brands and put our own unique voice to that? You define your brand voice, you define who it's for, and ideally, you know, it definitely helps that you do something that's actually 
good for people, it's good for the environment. You kind of like have this feel-good thingy that goes with it. I guess like defining a really cool mission and vision where employees and customers can buy into, I guess it's like a, it's a very helpful thing. For example, a friend of mine does global brigades where they send students to third world countries and then say you study medicine and you go on a medical brigade and he sends an insane amount, I don't know how it's now with COVID, but you send insane amount of people on these brigades and he had two full-time employees. Everybody else was a volunteer because people really buy into this mission and vision and share this, right? So if you do something good, people definitely want to share this. And I guess like also another cool thing is I'm a big fan of swag. And if you have good swag, people like to share good things. People like to talk about things that are good for others, right? Because if I tell you, hey, man, you can eat these berries. They're yummy. Don't eat these. They make you sick. And Stone Age times, I raise rise up in the social view of, of you because I just provide value to you. So we like doing that, but we need a trigger to talk about this. And Hydroflask is perfect because like this big thingy that you run around with, people that's like, hey, what's this? And then people can talk about this. Hey, that's Hydroflask. I guess if you don't have the luxury of selling a physical product, which is this swag itself as a software business, I think it's cool if you send out swag that people will actually use in the wild so you can trigger this conversation like, hey, what's this? And then people have the opportunity to share. Absolutely. I completely agree with you, David. I um, had heard a story about, and I don't know if it's true, but I haven't heard that it's not. The guy who invented Oakley was watching NASCAR. And, you know, if you look at a TV square or rectangle, I guess they are nowadays, the winner would stand there and all you could see was their head and they'd be interviewing and there'd be two heads talking. And his idea was, well, how do I get my brand in this rectangle? How do I get it on that TV screen with the winner? And so he realized, well, if I put my brand right here in between somebody's eyes, you're going to see my brand. So that always was very intriguing to me. How do we get our brand all over, like omnipresent in your life? And that was not only the water bottle, but then it went into swag, which is stuff we all get. Also, there's swag, which is shit we all get. And those are like cheap ballpoint pens or cheap, you know, like, oh, I got a little cheap ruler or tape measure or something. It's like, yeah, that's swag. Swag, though, is like stuff that we're actually going to wear. Like if it's a nice baseball cap or if it's a nice T-shirt and it's good quality and it fits well and it's printed nicely and the brand spent some money on it, then yeah, people absolutely are going to represent your brand. And that was always part of our sort of mission also was let's get our customers to be our salespeople for us also. So the shipping department was always constantly putting out extra stickers in boxes or every once in a while they just throw in hats or they throw in a t-shirt just randomly. I'd go back and we'd put a hundred dollar bill inside just random things that people wouldn't necessarily anticipate getting with just ordering a just a water bottle. I think that that was always huge. And then as we started going more and more retail, the swag just kind of intensified almost because we really wanted to take care of those sales reps. And so we would send out signs and banners and whether they put them up in the store as subliminal marketing or conscious marketing, or if they even put them up, we had a lot of people say that they would see us like in the break room or in the back room, they'd put up the banners. 
which I was always a fan of also, because I had multiple people tell me that as soon as I walk in the door, the first thing I see is Hydro Flask. And it's like, yep, that's exactly right. Because you see my banner, as soon as you walk in, you're going to subconsciously be thinking about these bottles throughout the day. And as you go out onto the sales floor, hopefully you'll remember our brand. And then Swag also included actually huge promotional deals and actually giving out the bottles to people as well to try to have them help us promote the branding as well. Yeah, something we did with my last business, which was a content delivery network. What we did is we gave free accounts of the CDN to bloggers, to WordPress bloggers. And we asked them to write about this. Like, hey, here's CDN. It's going to make your site faster. So you're going to rank higher in Google. If you like it, please write a blog post about this. If you don't like it, you can also trash it on the blog post, but please talk about this. And this worked phenomenally well in terms of just like getting exposure to the right audience, even though these bloggers were not our target audience because they didn't spend much money on, on bandwidth as we're making our money, but bloggers want to blog about something. So we got free exposure from a lot of people. And we actually went through close to sponsoring and giving product away. We went to Mashable and we told them like, hey guys, we give you the CDN for free. We even buy a banner on your sidebar. In return, we want at the bottom, accelerate by Max CDN. Having this in the tech field was like kind of sponsoring like an, an athlete or something like this. So to just like associate with the people that your audience likes, I guess it's also, if we add another rule to the how to become a cult brand, I guess. With Maxian, we are like definitely in the WordPress space. We were the player, like everybody knew us because we focused on this small niche market and it became omnipresent in there, like every blog. We went to all the big influencers and paid the money to become affiliates to promote our stuff. So did you do any things like this to promote athletes or people to cut some deals for them? We did. That's awesome. That's spot on, dude. You're absolutely right. That's, that's a great way to, anytime you can get others to help and be like a champion of your product or brand, it's so much more beneficial than trying to pour the money into trying to advertise to their following. Being in Bend, Oregon, we had the luxury of having a lot of snowboarders, a lot of bicyclists, a lot of triathletes, a lot of athletes in general come to train or come to live. We had Olympians. And then also with our Hawaiian roots. I mean, my partner and I really honestly started Hydro Flask in Oahu. And so we had a lot of surfing connections. We knew some celebrities out in Hawaii in that realm as well. And of course, we get everybody who had a little bit of a following, a bottle or two or 10, and they felt better. I mean, it was the first time they really started drinking water out of something that could maintain the temperature. It wouldn't freeze when they went snowboarding. It wouldn't turn too hot to drink when they went out surfing. They could come back from surfing and, and they could still drink the water. It wouldn't be too hot. They could go do a triathlon and then get back in their car and They'd have their hot coffee at the end of it or whatever the story is we were getting back. We just would always try to help them. And then as a result, I mean, they started helping us with product placement here and there. We'd sponsor a logo on a jersey or on a jacket or on a snowboard or a skateboard or whatever it happened to be. Very cool. I really attribute a lot of that to like Red Bull also. Like we were very lucky that Red Bull was... They were the cool kids on the block circa 08, 09. All of their athletes seemed to really, I was going to say, drink that proverbial Kool-Aid, which kind of is what it is, and then be 
like huge brand ambassadors. And you might not necessarily recognize the athlete, but you know, if they're wearing that Red Bull hat that they're sponsored, they must be good. They must be good. Like this is somebody I'm probably wanting to follow or watch their video because I know if they've made the cut to get to the level of wearing that hat, that's somebody I kind of want to keep an eye on. So with Hydro Flask, we did a lot of that as well was like, what would Red Bull do? So did you go to the pre-selected Red Bull athletes and just like send them swag? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Any address we could get, any promoter, any manager, a lot of word of mouth. We started meeting athletes and celebrities. Product placement was another one. There are product placement agencies that will get you into like a gift bag at the Emmys or the Grammys or the daytime soap opera awards or whatever. All the people who are in attendance go in the back room or they, afterwards there's a tent set up and there's just rows and rows of tables full of bags. And as a brand, we would show up with product and give to all of the celebrities that would come through. And that was huge too, because I've seen quite a few celebrities now walking around with, with Hydro Flask and mentioning it by name when there's absolutely zero dollars associated, where they've just taken it upon themselves to say the name. If it's a good product, as I mentioned before, we want to share this with others. You know, especially if somebody's asked like, hey, that's Hydro Flask, help me to drink more, you know, like switching to drinking more, la, 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 whatever, like no plastic. So if you do something good and if you help people, if your product is good, then people will use it. And going back to swag, it's book called Giftology. Oh. And the idea is that you always just buy the highest category of the thing that you're gifting. If you gift something, always buy the highest grade of whatever's out there. If you buy a cell phone charger, buy the highest, the most expensive one. Water bottle, buy a hydroflask, which is high quality water bottle. How much do you go for? Like 30 bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks? Depending on the size. Uh-huh. Yeah. So... If you buy them, let's say a watch for five hundred dollars, and you know you spend like ten x or what you would spend on the water bottle, and you give to them, he's probably not going to wear it because he has a Rolex or whatever. So he's going to put this into the drawer or like give this to his nephew or whatever, right? But if you want them to use it, just buy them the highest quality stuff in this category. It doesn't have to be super expensive; it can be thirty, forty, fifty bucks, but just the best thing out there. You know, you're absolutely spot on, David. I had that lesson sort of really imparted upon me. I bought a paddleboard for one of my birthday presents a few years ago to myself. And it was a guy here, local stand on liquid, I think it was called. And I mean, it was an expensive paddleboard. It was a really, I mean, it wasn't cheap. And I, you know, I got the paddle and everything else to go with it. And I get the bill and I'm like, okay, well, I heard that over a thousand dollars, I get a free t-shirt. I was kind of just joking, but that's also my nature is just to try to negotiate more. And he said, yeah, go ahead and go get a t-shirt from the rack. So I went over to the rack and there were 50 different t-shirts. And I said, well, which one do you want me to take? And he looked at me and he goes, well, take the one that you want that you're actually going to wear. Because if you don't wear it, then it does me no good to give it to you because you're never going to help me out by wearing it. Like, oh yeah, dang, that makes really good sense. So I took the one that felt nicest and it fit and I liked the colors and the design and I, I wore the heck out of it. And pretty soon there were, you know, after a few years, there's holes in it. And I realized like it was a conversation piece for a long time. And while nobody may go into stand on liquid and say, oh, well, Travis was wearing the shirt. That name is at least in their consciousness, even if it's subconscious. Yeah, brand recognition. What we did with Maxi, the end, we 
had like something automated set up with printfaction.com, I think. They have like a thing where you can set up a swag store. You send them your swag and they set up an e-commerce store and we had an API. So somebody buys from us and one month after, if there's still a customer, an email is triggered saying like, hey, thanks for being a MaxCN customer. Please pick your swag item here. And then they just like go to the swag store and they can like kind of select whatever. And they kind of self-fill out where it's, it's free, of course, right? They can pick one item. And we always add some stickers and, you know, then you pick the right color you like, you pick the size you like, whatever to kind of like automate this stuff. Worked really well for us. Oh, that's awesome. It's so cool that we now have that kind of technology and software and businesses doing stuff like that. Because, I mean, otherwise, if that didn't exist, I mean, that could be a whole department with five people running it, just trying to figure out what color and what size to send to Sarah Smith in Sioux Falls. Another thing we did with Max, we sent out swag bombs to partners. So somebody who's like in the same industry or like has the same custom as us, we send them like a giant package with like, I don't know, 50 shirts in different sizes, whatever. So you know, like stickers, hats, like all kinds of stuff. And just like send it to the headquarters. And then we'd get like Twitter stuff like, oh, Mexican swag bombs here. You know, kind of like everybody like rocking the stuff, you know. So it's always like a, another thing to just like get the name out there and for the right audiences, right? Wow, that's a great idea. Yeah. We'd have like, I think carrot mob is what the term is or was. They were just kind of starting to come out or flash mobs. What we would do is we'd find, it started out with family and friends. I mean, very, very small group it started out with, but we would have our friends and family contact their local potential sales partners. And so if we knew there was a sporting goods store, or some snowboarding store or skateboard shop or whatever kind of business we wanted to get into, we would just kind of set up like a calendar for our friends and family to call them and ask them like, Hey, do you carry a hydro flask? <laughs> That's gangster. You don't. Yeah, don't. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we're going to have to go down the street to your competitor and get one, but Hey man, thanks anyway. Well, five or six of those phone calls. And then pretty soon the owner is calling and going, Hey, can we get your bottles? <laughs> it's like, that's gangster. It's freaking awesome. Actually. <laughs> I love it. And then as we started growing, we'd have people who would ask us like, Hey, is there anything we can do to help you? Actually there is. Every time you go to a store, ask them if they sell hydro flask. And they're like going like, why? Well, hopefully we can. And then sure enough, like they would call us back and, and they'd say, hey, we saw you in the shop. It worked. It did work. Thank you. Here's some free bottles. We appreciate that. <laughs> That's really cool. Actually, I love that. I love guerrilla marketing stuff like this. Me too. Yeah. I could go on days about how much I love guerrilla marketing. Because without much money, I mean, we didn't have these huge budgets. And so we had to do like gangster shit like that. Yeah. We bootstrapped as well. With these free accounts, it took us, I think, four months. And then we're number three for the keyword CDN on Google because we got so many backlinks from like all these blogs that we gave these free accounts to. Wow. You know, and all our competitors, like, how the heck is this possible? That yeah, was really cool. Yeah. I think that should be a real big part of startup expenses, I think, is just giving out free product, free swag, just free, free, free. Just saturate as much as you can and then start to figure out how you can start to collect revenue for what you've done. Yeah, and also with the free, especially when you have a software product, what we did is create like a founder's pricing and we got people in early and they're like, it was really dirt cheap. And the idea was that they give us feedback on what we can improve. And if you pay a lot of money, then you don't want a half-baked product, but they're okay with being an early adopter and giving us feedback. And so... 
work really well. We kind of really change up the product dramatically. It's like a completely different thing now with UpCoach. And, and also like people that come in early and they get feedback and they see their feedback is hurt. They really become brand ambassador because say, hey, I had input into this. You know, they kind of built this emotional connection to this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And they're more willing to have, not that you'd ever intentionally put out mediocrity or anything subpar, but in case it does happen where, ooh, I don't know that that's the right color or that doesn't quite work just right. Well, to give it out to those initial, the early adopters, they're more willing to kind of roll with the punches with it. Because like you said, if they say, hey, you know, this is kind of not cool. Oh, yeah, geez. Yeah, we kind of wondered and you're right. And now we'll make it cool. Now they feel great because you've now changed and you've upgraded to their recommendation. But then also you don't have to release it all over the place and have your competition tell you that it's not cool or start a campaign about how uncool it is. I mean, we would do that with colors alone, like especially. We'd always have our kind of inner circles that would get the initial color and they would say, I don't like the purple or that's a great purple. And we found that like, interestingly enough, purple tend to be the most difficult color because purple and pink, but mainly purple, there's so many different shades of purple. And we found that people who like purple, like a very specific purple, and they don't much like other shades of purple. So that was always the most difficult color. Actually, before you talked about this, I thought, about how did you organize these early adopter groups? Like, do you just like have an a mailing list of them or like did you have like a forum like a community like a facebook group like how did you organize these folks yeah it started with friends and family people that we knew who had were still living in oahu still living in the virgin islands people who were out in tropical places we were asking for photographs a lot of the uh snowboarding friends of ours and the ice climbers and had a lot of parties who were from my rock climbing days and the airline pilots that would fly all over the world. And then we get somebody who gets a picture of a hydro flask in Turkey. It's just like, Hey, now it kind of gives us this international feel that this bottle's in Turkey. And so it was mainly just like our own friends and family to begin with. And then as Facebook started growing and social media started growing and our email campaigns started. MailChimp was kind of starting up around that time. These campaigns, we started building this inner network circle. And then we found that there is a saturation point also where you don't want too many of these insiders because then it kind of defeats the point. But we wanted like multiple categories of types of people in different industries and different places all around the world to give us feedback. It's really cool. Yeah, it's, it kind of makes me wanting to have a physical product again. Because like I've been like in the digital services or SaaS, but like having a physical product makes it so cool that you can ask people to take pictures. It's just like more, especially with social media and like Instagram, et cetera. Well, we were running without like Photoshop also. Like we couldn't just take a picture of a bottle and Photoshop it on top of a mountain. Like we literally had to, we drove five hours down to find snow get a photograph of the bottles in snow. And, you know, we'd already got a bunch of pictures from hot Hawaii beach. And in the early days, it was all like straight photography. We couldn't just wing it. But I always think that there's more money in software. Like you could probably make a lot more money doing that. Better margins. I'm wondering like, what can we do to make this a reality for software products? I guess the easiest thing is to hand out swag chip swag to people and ask them to take pictures. I'm really a big fan of the golden arches 
being gold always. Like unless you're in Sedona, Arizona, where they're kind of a turquoise or teal color, their golden arches are always going to be golden. And if you if you could see those golden arches anywhere on the planet, most people are going to know what they're. So I tried to always with the brands and the businesses, the companies that we work with at Tumalo Group, we try to reiterate and reconfirm the fact that anywhere somebody can see your logo, the better. So with software, I don't know, like if you're going to be on Zoom calls or if you're going to be on podcasts or if anybody's going to be able to physically see, yeah, I'd think about the backdrop, you know, it's like subliminal subconscious marketing, like even just like a banner in the back that looks like a wall or a backdrop. The virtual backdrops are kind of dodgy. I don't think we've really, I think those can be kind of cheesy and lame, but to have a physical backdrop with your brand on it, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you want to say it's a real aquarium in the background? I'm just kidding. I wish it was. Well, I'm glad it's not. It's a heck of a lot easier that it's not real. But if they start to fight, let me know. I'll go tap on the glass. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the customers you're working with. I think it's a cool way to wrap this up. I really got a lot of ideas. I just took a bunch of notes. So you work with companies helping them to bring manufacturing back to the US and also still with some high-end manufacturers in China. But like maybe you want to share with the audience kind of like, what you guys are up to. So maybe we can, you can help one of the other audience member here. Yeah. The Tumblr group was started to help businesses and brands and just people in general, either start an idea or to grow their brand or to grow their business. And one of the ways that we do that is making sure that, I mean, we start at like zero. So we start with design engineering and we move kind of up from there. But sourcing from the right factories is a lot of what we do. We're still making a lot of products in China. However, we're also moving a lot of brands back home to the United States. And the Tumalo Group is starting to really expand our American manufacturing, especially even just here in Oregon. Although I say that tomorrow we're going up to Washington to go look at a factory. It's really cool. I've been going to factories for 15 years or so. And now I'm going to more and more factories here in Oregon and in the States. And I just think that's so cool. So we're helping people bring their ideas to reality and even closer to home. That's very cool. You just didn't want to fly across the world anymore. So it's like, I got to fix it. <laughs> I was one of the last flights out of China, actually, before they shut it down. I think I was, I was one of the last four flights. Two were already in the air and two had just already pushed back from the gate. That was in 2020. And I was like, I, I don't know how long it's going to be before I can come back, but we got to do something different. And yeah, it, it gets old traveling to China once a month. <laughs> as much as I love the country, there's some really great people, awesome stuff going on over there. And we're working with Mexico too. I mean, like who doesn't want to go to Mexico in February? Yes, please. Awesome, Travis. It was really cool having you on. Do you want to share URLs and emails or social where people can find you, how you like to communicate? Yeah, info at tumalogroup.com, T-U-M-A-L-O-G-R-O-U-P.com is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Or I'm on LinkedIn also, Travis Rossback at the LinkedIn site is the kind of only social media that I'm really on, if that is social media, I guess. But info at tumalogroup.com works well. Awesome, very cool. And for those of you who enjoy the show, please go to the iTunes thingy and give us a review. It's going to make our producer, Sam, really, really happy. He always puts us in there. So I say this. So 
please make Seth happy. Give us a five-star thing in and write something nice. Party people, I'll see you on the next one. Thank you very much. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.